0: You are Locked on Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team
1: every day.
0: And we are back here on a crossover edition of both Locked on Ravens and Locked on Texans. I'm the Locked on Ravens host, Kevin Ostriker and you can help support your local businesses, whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support, so let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL and I am here with both Cody Davis and John Hickman of the Locked on Texans podcast and guys this is a matchup I've kind of been looking forward to now obviously the Texans schedule not so kind starting off with the Chiefs and then the Ravens are arguably the top two teams in the NFL but how are you guys feeling after week one
1: You know, honestly, I feel we are exactly where we thought we should have been. You know, when we look at the elite teams around the NFL, like the Ravens, like the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, you guys only got better through our offseason. As to where here down in Houston, we had a lot of turnover. DeAndre Hopkins is gone. That was the talk of the offseason. Bill O'Brien was officially named GM. Tim Kelly is a new play caller, new receivers. David Johnson included in the trade. So, so on and so forth, and we also lost guys, and so we are on one of those teams that, you know, we're depending on a lot of second- and third-year players, very young, and ultimately, we were behind, even down to the fact that, you know, Titus Howard, who we drafted in the first round, uh, he didn't play football in almost a year now. The last time he played against someone was in last November, and it struck, we saw that he struggled with him. He struggled, rather, uh, on the field going up against Chris Jones and Frank Clark, so We are exactly where I thought we would be heading into week two. And actually, I was the one that picked uh, the Texans to lose to Kansas City, but to beat the Ravens. So, Kevin, here's what I want to ask you. The Texans know that we have a tough task heading into Sunday's matchup, right? And Lamar Jackson said the game is slowing down. That's pretty scary for a guy who... You know, won MVP last year, set the league on fire. So if the game is slowing down now, that means he's improving. He's won his sixth AFC Player of the Week this past Sunday. The Ravens have a, uh, I'm sorry, the Ravens have a very talented secondary that forces Lamar Jackson to throw into tight windows. Uh, I want to know how much does the defensive coordinator uh, Martindale, how much does he and this defense affect how far this team can go.
0: Well, I think, John, this, the defense is so important because we all saw what the offense could do in 2019. I mean, they were a top rushing team. Where the Ravens wanted to really show the league what they could do is, is within the pass game. And the pass game for Baltimore, the Ravens struggled against Cleveland on Sunday or last Sunday to run the football. Only three point, uh, about 3.6, 3.7 yards per carry. So you look at that, Lamar Jackson 20-25 for, for 275 and three touchdowns. Baltimore showed, Lamar Jackson showed, that he can carry this team. But where does the defense really factor into all of this is where Baltimore will sometimes struggle to score points. You might see that a couple times this year. No team, you know, the Ravens were blowing people out by 40. They were putting up 50 bombs on some people. That doesn't happen every single game. There will be times where the Ravens struggle to move the ball and to score the ball. Eric DaCosta went into this offseason and saw holes in the rush defense and saw holes in the front seven. And he, need, he knew that they needed to be addressed. And so what did he do? He went out and acquired Calais Campbell from Jacksonville. He signed Michael Brockers. That lasted about 11 days. So he goes back out and signs Derek Wolfe. Josh Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison, Justin Metablique as well. A lot of guys to help fill those holes on run defending plays. And Baltimore's defense, Eric DeCosta built it. So if the offense is struggling to score points, the defense can keep the offense in the game. Lamar Jackson is a transcendent talent. The Ravens offense has a lot of talent on their roster, but people kind of overlook that defense, which is kind of a little weird because the Ravens, while they're that offensive team now, the Baltimore Ravens of old were a defensive powerhouse. You know, you talk about Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, so many guys who impacted the game defensively. The Ravens defense, their secondary is elite, but where they needed to improve is up front. And while there were mixed results from week one, I think you can attribute part of that to a shortened off season. The defense for Baltimore is a huge, huge part of how far this team can go because if they're not clicking, when that offense sputters, and with every NFL team, the offense will sputter at some point, the defense needs to be able to keep the offense in the game and hold a team like Cleveland to six points so you can score nine or ten and win the game.
2: Speaking of that run defense, by the way, how do you you personally feel about the Ravens' ability to stop the run this season? Because although last year you guys were top five in the fewest rushing yards allowed, the Ravens' front seven struggled a lot against – playing against some of the premier running backs in this league we saw what derrick henry was able to do to you guys during the afc divisional round playoffs last year and nick chubb recorded 165 yards and three touchdowns in the blowout win that they had against the ravens last season so how do you feel about their front seven and their ability to stop the run this year
0: for me, I think this is a key thing that Eric DeCosta honed in on because we saw we saw the Derrick Henry, the whole world saw the Derrick Henry train run through Baltimore and just obliterate this run defense. <laughs> and you mentioned the Nick Chubb game that that game, the Week Four game that the Cleveland Browns just came into Baltimore and annihilated the Ravens, that still haunts some some Ravens fans to this day. So what the Ravens had and where they struggled to defend the run is on outside run concepts that really just burn the Ravens in 2019 and honestly burn them a bit in week one against Cleveland on Sunday. There were sometimes there was one drive and, and a couple other plays scattered throughout the game where the Browns just ran the ball down the Ravens throats and, and were able to put, punch the ball in for a touchdown. They're only points of the game, but the Ravens had last year uh, on their front seven, it was Brandon Williams who played defensive tackle. They had Michael Pierce at nose tackle and Chris Wormley defensive end two nose tackles because Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce both play nose tackle. So they move Brandon Williams to defensive tackle, who doesn't play that that's not his natural position Baltimore didn't have they lacked the athleticism to get to the outside guys weren't holding the edge they had Jalen Ferguson get picked on as a rookie Matthew Judon is a phenomenal player he has so many different traits in, in so many things he can do he sometimes struggled there as well although overall he's a pretty good edge setter as well as a, a bunch of other things but the Ravens I mentioned they get Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf. Calais Campbell's 6'8 he's he's a mountain and he has, you know, sneaky athleticism, even though he's getting up there in age. And the Ravens, on their back end of that front seven with the linebackers, they brought in Josh Bynes and they brought in L.J. Fort. L.J. Fort still is with the Ravens, but Josh Bynes, he played pretty, pretty well in a Baltimore Ravens uniform if they wanted more athleticism. So they brought in Patrick Queen from LSU. They brought in Malik Harrison from Ohio State, two guys who are athletic, who can both play the run and drop back into pass coverage. And so while there were mixed results on Sunday against Cleveland in week one, I was still kind of impressed with the potential that this Ravens front seven has to bottle up the run. Because the Ravens now, you know, the whole big story about Earl Thomas being released, that opened the door for Deshaun Elliott to come in. And Deshaun Elliott, a former Texas Longhorn, he, you know, while he might not be as polished as Earl Thomas, in fact, he's not, because Earl Thomas is still a pretty good player. He is a better run defender at this point in his career than Earl Thomas is right now. And I think that's also going to help Baltimore. We saw Deshaun Elliott lay a bone-crushing hit on Kareem Hunt. And so Baltimore, if they can get over that hump of letting outside runs gash them, if they can stop that, Baltimore and their defense is in prime position to to dominate again in 2020.
1: Kevin, I want to go back to my first question, you know, and I want to be more specific don martindale has done a very good job with this defense right but what i'm looking for is how good has this defense been in a shortened off season, damn near not an off season at all for lamar jackson helping him getting better as a quarterback
0: lamar jackson going up in practice against this defense it helps it helps a lot you know lamar jackson even before old thomas was released he said multiple times that Earl Thomas helps him get better as a quarterback every single day. When you go up against those guys in practice, you're going up against arguably what is at the very minimum a top 10 defense. You know, you can chalk them up to a top five if you want to. The Ravens having star corners and Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, even Jimmy Smith in there as well with Tavon Young. It really helps because. You go up against these guys in practice. You go up against a dominant front seven or you what you would hope is a dominant front seven. And for Baltimore and for Lamar Jackson in this whole offense, you have guys like Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews also saying that when you have a defense like that, that you go up against every single day in practice, it's not just, all right, well, I beat this guy one time and that's great, and then he beat me another time. Marlon Humphrey has gone up to Marquise Brown and has said, look, I saw you do this But you could have done this and you would have beat me here. You have guys who go up to Lamar Jackson and say, I read your eyes going this way. If you deceive me a little bit more and go to your second, third, fourth read, you'll get this defender here and you'll get that defender out of place so you can plop the ball over their head that really helps a young quarterback because you're right, John, in the shortened off season, we didn't have a preseason. You didn't have those tune-up games, which hurt all 32 NFL teams. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about that, but having a defense like the Ravens defense up against you every day in practice makes you a better football player, I think.
1: I want to look at this team overall and just ask the question that I think, you know, eventually you're going to ask us a question about one of our departures via trade, but did your team, the Baltimore Ravens, get better by letting Earl Thomas
0: go? This has been a hot topic ever since the Earl Thomas situation happened. And on the football field, the answer is no. You you can say what you want about Earl Thomas and what happened with him, you know, from his Seattle days, kind of slowing down with the leg injury. But Earl Thomas was still an above average safety at the very least. I mean, he made the Pro Bowl. The stats don't show that. But he was only targeted around 25 times and allowed around a 25% completion percentage on the targets he was thrown at. Defenders were able to go onto one side of the field. The Ravens defenders were able to go onto the side of the field that Earl Thomas wasn't at because quarterbacks would avoid the side Earl Thomas was on at all costs. They knew that Earl Thomas still had juice left and still was a dominant football player and still put up very, very good coverage grades. But from a whole perspective, you take everything into account – the player Earl Thomas is what he was providing to the Ravens and the cultural impacts that he had on this Ravens team, how he was affecting their culture. The Ravens did get better by releasing Earl Thomas. And this goes not just from a football field perspective, but, you know, you saw the reports or if you haven't seen the reports, he was skipping meetings to get his car washed. During a bye week, he started the bye week and went on vacation a day early when John Harbaugh had already scheduled a team meeting for everybody to be present at. Then after the bye week, he came back a day late. He was punching teammates, wasn't showing up, wasn't taking film sessions seriously, was leaving film sessions early. This Ravens team is hungry and this Ravens team is mad about how their season ended last year. And Earl Thomas just just didn't share that same mentality A lot of the reason that the Ravens signed Earl Thomas was not because they did their research. Eric DaCosta, the GM, has done a phenomenal job bringing in talent. But when the Browns acquired Odo Beckham Jr. in 2019, Eric DaCosta, according to reports, felt that he needed to do something to combat that. And ultimately, Earl Thomas was the answer. And Baltimore, overall, I think, did get better by releasing Earl Thomas but there's no question that he was still a good football player and still brought value on the football field. But honestly, the off-the-field burden that gets lifted off the Ravens' shoulders, I think is more important than that on the
1: field impact. Before we even move forward to the Texans and you know trying to talk about what we have to do to win this game, I don't think a game is—one game for Baltimore is very important this year. I think the game is the Super Bowl. In the last two years, especially when we look at what happened last year, the debacle— Tennessee has not won a playoff game with Lamar Jackson. How important is it for him to lead this team, not only to a playoff victory, but their expectations is to get to the Super Bowl. They have the talent to do so. How, how, How hard is it for him to make that dream come true for the whole city of Baltimore?
0: Well, for Lamar Jackson, it's so important for him to at least get a playoff win. That's the very, very minimum that he can do this season because anything less would honestly be a failure for this Baltimore Ravens team. And they they know that. The big game, the big goal is to win a Super Bowl. They have the talent to do so. But everybody looks at Lamar Jackson, and whenever somebody's looking for criticism, it's, Well, he was 0-2 in the playoffs, or he's 0-2 in the playoffs. If he goes 0-3 in the playoffs, you know, that blemish just gets bigger and bigger and bigger on his resume. Now, he's been there enough now. You know, he's not just, you know, a bright-eyed rookie anymore or a second-year player. He's starting to get into a territory where he's been there enough, and he has the talent around him where if he doesn't, at least win a playoff game, people are going to start coming at him in the sense of, well, he's a regular season guy, but he's not a clutch playoff performer. And I have all the confidence in the world that the Ravens can win a playoff game with Lamar Jackson and can win the Super Bowl this year with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson wants to win this big game, not for him. He's the most selfless person that I think that I've I've almost ever seen. He wants to win it for his teammates, his coaches, the city of Baltimore. It's all that he wants to do. He is so motivated to make that dream come true for everybody not named Lamar Jackson. And that's honestly one of the things that I admire the most about this guy. And Baltimore has the talent to do it. Lamar Jackson, he is the guy that I would want to lead this team to a Super Bowl because he is a talented player. I mean, he won the MVP in 2019. So he can do it. The Ravens can do it. But it's so important for him to get over the hump, just win that first playoff game first. We're going to head into our first break now, and when we get back, we're going to be talking with John and Cody about the Texans, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair, everyone needs support to make it through the day. CBD Freeze with menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. CBD Recover combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. To make it even easier to try these amazing duos of topicals and everything else CBDMD has to offer, they're offering all our listeners 25% off on your next order when you use the promo code LOCKEDONNFL at checkout. Once again, that CBD CBDMD.com promo code LOCKEDONNFL for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. And we are back with our second segment of this crossover edition of both Locked on Ravens and Locked on Texans. Kevin Oshark of the host of Locked on Ravens still here with Cody Davis and John Hickman of Locked on Texans. And guys, as I kind of mentioned earlier in the first segment, the NFL schedule gods were not kind to the Houston Texans, starting them off with the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, and then arguably, you know, the other best team in the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens. But I want to talk first about this Texans team. And we all know what happened in 2019. I'm not going to get into the final score. I'm not going to get into the stats. But Cody, I want to start with you and ask, what do you think the Texans need to do differently from last year's game against the Ravens in order to make this a game and win it for the Texans?
2: Well, there's only one thing they can do, and that's stop the run. And I'm kind of nervous about that because we saw how much they struggled at stopping the run last week, and that was against a rookie running back in his very first game. Look, you say you didn't want to talk about the score, but I'm going to bring up the score. They lost 41 to 7. And the reason why that happened because the Texans gave up 235 rushing yards in that game. I mean, Gus Edwards had 112 yards on eight carries, Lamar Jackson had 79 yards on 10 carries that cannot happen this Sunday we need guys like Charles Amanda who and Carlos Watkins to step up and hold their own against you guys offensive line because there was so many times especially Carlos Watkins in that game against the Kansas City Chiefs they was getting thrown around like rad dogs they could not hold their own against Kansas City for nothing and that's what we need them to do me personally I talked about this early on in the week. I'm hoping that the Texans look at what they have and actually insert a guy by the name of P.J. Hall. We just signed him. He was one of the few bright spots that the Texans had on the defensive side of the ball last week. And I went back and watched the game. And when he was out there on the field, he only gave up a total. I believe it was either 40 or 50 rushing yards when he was out there on the field. He made that much of a difference. And that's because he's so big and he's so hard to move out the way he was able to clog those holes that the Chiefs were creating against guys like a man who went walking. So that is by far the only thing. Matter of fact, the most important thing that the Texans need to do if they want to get their first victory of the 2020 season. They have to find a way to stop the run.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Cody. It all starts with that. And with Lamar Jackson and the improvements he's made as a passer, if you can stop the run and take that out of the Ravens game, you know, all these teams will say, "Well, just make him throw and it's our game. There's a lot more to Lamar Jackson's game now than just the run, but a good starting place is definitely taking the Ravens run game away. But John, I want to move to you now. And ask about your overall thoughts about how the Texans looked against the Chiefs in week one. Now, obviously we've talked about the shortened off season and even though the Texans lost, what were your good and bad takeaways for Houston in this game?
1: I think a couple of good takeaways was David Johnson is playing behind the offensive line. That wasn't one of the worst in the NFL. Um, and our offensive line is not the best as well. We have, two second-year players. One of them, I believe, is a stud, Max Sharpen. The other one, Titus Howard, he only played eight games last year. And in his first game, he had to play up against Chris Jones and Frank Clark, I mean, who really would have an easy day in the league. No no offensive lineman, really, but uh, we need improvement between our right side of the offensive line with Zach Fulton and Titus Howard. Um, And also, I look at the fact that overall, uh, the biggest bright spot to me was we can see a difference in this offense. Now, the downfall to that was simply the fact that we only saw the the difference in the Tim Kelly full game offense in two quarters. That's quarter one and quarter four. Houston, which is I'm going to get to the bad part, Houston got to a place where they reverted back completely to their old self, which is why they were not able to sustain drives. They became very predictable, and, and it really showed with the time of possession. Another bad thing that I saw that we cannot do against the Baltimore Ravens, bad angles taking in on tackles. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, Clyde Heller, Edwards Hilaire had a field day on us. And that's simply because we were taking bad angles and wasn't getting to the spots that we needed to be. Now, Cody mentioned how BJ Hall is going to be, I'm sorry, PJ Hall is going to be a very important part to boosting what the run, the run defense can do. So hopefully we are hoping that he gets more playing time. But that's what was a bad spot. We shouldn't have not allowed a rookie to get nearly 150 yards in his first NFL game. Those two things are going to really bother us if we have not fixed that in the 10 day span that we have from Thursday to Sunday uh, on defense. We're going to get killed by the Baltimore Ravens if those things are not fixed. One of the biggest bright spots, though, is just to see football.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, the Chiefs and Texans opening up. You know, you can say what you want about each team, good and the bad, but football is definitely back. And I am so happy that it really is. And it's real. It's really here. But Cody, I want to move back to you and talk about something that I know Texans fans and probably you too as well have heard about all offseason. <laughs> and that is the trade of DeAndre Hopkins, but I don't want to focus on that part necessarily. I want to focus on what's in Houston now in that wide receiver room. Now, you guys didn't have the preseason. I mean, nobody did to see how these new wide receivers and Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb would gel with the likes of Will Fuller and Kenny Stills. But to me, that wide receiver room with those four, it's a pretty deep room. So after one week, Cody, how are you feeling about these new wide receivers and the old ones who were already in Houston prior to that?
2: To be honest with you, Kevin, I'm still pretty confident about even with the lack of performance that they showed last week. Look, between Randall Kyle's Brandon Cooks and Kenny Stills, who didn't even catch the ball for no kind of yardage last week. Of course, that cannot happen again. They all combined for a total of 43 receiving yards with four catches. Look, it was a bad showing last week. And then you also got to factor in that Brandon Cooks is Still kind of dealing with a, a, a quad injury, and I'm pretty sure that slowed him down a little bit. I mean, he was basically a game time decision. We didn't even know that he was going to play up until I, I believe it was 30 minutes to an hour before kickoff. But even with the lack with the lackluster performance that they showed, I'm still pretty confident because I believe the struggles that they showcased last week at, at Arrowhead Stadium is just a result of the shortened off season that they had. I, I, I say this leading up to week one. I say the teams who came into the 2020 season with, this, with, with the same team and didn't make a lot of changes, they are the ones who are going to win the first probably two two games of the 2020 season. You take a look at the Chiefs. You guys did it. The New Orleans Saints did it. The Seattle Seahawks did it. Like Teams that did not make too much of a big change to their roster, especially on offense, they came on and took care of business. Teams that that basically did a whole dramatic turnover and just remade their whole entire roster, especially on offense, they struggled. Not only did you see it in Houston, you also saw it with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. And that is the reason why I'm still confident in what I've seen. Now, I do believe we're going to see a better showing from this receiving core this week against Baltimore, but... I'm still on the fence that I don't think it's going to be enough because the the Ravens have a really good secondary and I don't I I, I know they had a 10 day layoff period in order to establish that chemistry that they did not have last week but I, I I honestly don't think it's going to be enough and that's why we're going to need guys like Kenny Stills to step up even more I don't know what got into him last week there's no way in hell he should give us another game where he don't catch not one ball for no kind of receptions.
0: Yeah, with all that depth, you would hope that some guys would be able to step up. And Will Fuller, in my opinion, is a dangerous, dangerous threat when he is healthy. But that's been the question with him is, can he actually stay healthy? But with Cooks and with Cobb and with Stills, you have guys who can make an impact. It's just a matter of are they going to actually do it and put it on the football field. But, John, I want to end with you here before we head into our final break and talk a bit about Deshaun Watson. And we all know that Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now there's no question in my mind about that but for him specifically John what is he going to need to do to get the best of this Ravens defense
1: I think he needs to stay sharp but before I talk about what Deshaun needs to do we know that it's very hard no matter how special your quarterback is it's very hard to beat elite teams when you don't have the protection right I mean. We have saw a dynasty built and ask yourself, how many times did did Tom Brady have to play with subpar offensive lines? Right. And, and that's why they were a dynasty. It's very hard to beat elite teams if everybody isn't playing elite. So we're going to need our offensive line to not allow 60% of pressures on dropbacks for Deshaun Watson with no other team in the NFL allowed more than 34. But for, for Deshaun specifically, He just has to be special and sharp. When it's time to get the ball out, get the ball out. Don't hold on to it every time to try to make a play when it's not necessarily needed. And let's sustain drives. I I cannot speak on that enough. Let's win on third downs. Let's sustain drives. If we do not do that, if we allow Baltimore to control the clock and have more opportunity with the ball, then we can just kiss this game away and we'll be 0-2. But – He has to be sharp. He has to make those decisions quickly because he's not playing up against a a Miami type of defense. He's not playing up against some of these young defenses across the league. You're playing up against a guy that you've been playing against since you came into the league. And that's Calais Campbell, along with the rest of this very stout defense with Marlon Humphrey, with Judon. I can go on and on. So he has to be sharp and he has to be continue to be the special player that we all know he is.
0: Yeah, no doubt that two very special quarterbacks are going to be taking the field against each other on Sunday, and whoever comes out on top, they will have had made more plays, and as you mentioned, John, they would have stayed sharp and made plays happen with little, and make sure that they can get their teams over the top by using their talents. We're going to head into our final break, and when we get back, we're going to be talking about some injury reports and final score predictions, so stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can get every snap from every game with full game replays and see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long. You'll also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL film's archive, so go to nfl.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. And we are back with our final segment of this crossover edition of both Locked on Ravens and Locked on Texans. Kevin is still here with Cody Davis and John Hickman. And guys, I want to start off here. This segment, we're gonna do injury reports and final score predictions. But let's start off with those injury reports first. For Baltimore, at least, they have a couple of guys who could miss this game who are huge impact players. But Cody, I want to start with the Texans injury report. How are the Texans health-wise heading into this game with Baltimore on
2: Sunday? To be honest with you, we are okay. There are a couple names on this list I am kind of concerned about, and I'm gonna just focus on the main three that I'm concerned about. That's Brandon Cooks, Titus Howard, and J.J. Watt. First and foremost. Me and John, we, we go back and forth on this a lot that JJ Watt is getting up there in age. And when I saw that he was listed, even though he still practiced on yesterday, he was listed with a hip injury. Normally your hips start hurting you when you're getting up there in age. I'm just I'm just really concerned about JJ Watt at this stage in his career. Look, he has he has had a phenomenal career, but the fact that he is on an injury report with a hip injury really do concerns me. But most importantly, outside of Watt Titus Howard did not have that much of a good game last week, and we really need him to help that offensive line because we know how great of a defensive line you guys have, especially at blitzing and rushing the quarterback. And we're going to need him to protect that right side, and I'm not too sure how much the the severity of his ankle injury is, but that kind of concerns me because we saw how much he struggled um, staying in front of his man last week against the Chiefs knowing that he's on this injury report with an ankle injury really do concerns me the most out of anybody brandon cooks he's still dealing with the quad injury i talked about him in the last segment we need brandon cook to be 100 percent and i'm gonna say what i said last week if he needs to sit out this game to be healthy for the rest of the season i will i would much rather take that l because i don't know about you but i do believe we are looking at a, a houston texans team that that possibly might start the season 0-2 I would much rather have him healthy and ready to go against the Pittsburgh Steelers next week other than against the Ravens this week
0: hey look Cody I'd rather have that too I'd rather have the Texans go out there and (laughs) beat the Steelers Brandon Cooks and then you know coming from me you know hopefully the Texans can go out there and beat the Steelers in week three but for Baltimore in terms of this week two game against the Texans this injury report I will not lie to you it concerns me Now, I'll just read it down. I'll read down the list. Clayus Campbell did not practice. That was a veteran day. You can kind of toss him out. He'll play on Sunday, no problem. The Ravens' third-round rookie, Justin Matabuike, who is supposed to have a pretty big role in being a rotation guy in that run and pass defense for Baltimore. He hasn't practiced with a knee injury. He's been down for the past two weeks, and if he doesn't get in at least a limited practice tomorrow, I think he's done again. Chris Moore, same thing, has not practiced in a few weeks. He broke his finger back in training camp. He's the Ravens, I think, special teams ace, uh, a guy who you could argue is a Pro Bowl-type caliber gunner. Doesn't provide a lot on the offensive side of the ball, but he also did not participate again, would probably need a limited practice. Jimmy Smith and Ronnie Stanley, two guys who did play in the week one game against Cleveland, both did not practice with hip injuries. Now, Jimmy Smith, the Ravens are decently thin at secondary in the secondary right now. Again, Earl Thomas being released doesn't really help that. But the Ravens are only carrying right now on the active roster five corners and four safeties, depending on where you want to put Jimmy Smith position wise. He's played safety. He's played corner this season so far. But the one that concerns me and the one that the Ravens really, really need to play on Sunday is Ronnie Stanley. Ronnie Stanley went down with an ankle injury on Sunday, but also said that his hip was bothering him. And ultimately, the hip was the thing that held him out and not the ankle. So who knows if it's serious? Who knows if it's not? What I do know is that Ronnie Stanley has to play in this game on Sunday. Now, again, if you bring up the Brandon Cook situation and say, if Ronnie Stanley sits out this game, he's healthy for the rest of the year. I will take that. That is okay. But what I saw from the Ravens' replacement tackle in that Cleveland game in D.J. Fluker did not inspire me, and it did not inspire me even more when I saw the highlights of Jacob Martin in week one against the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, you can line up these guys all over the field. Maybe Jacob Martin goes up against Orlando Brown Jr., and that's fine. But where are you going to line up, J.J. Watt? Where are you lining up all these other guys? It's going to be tough for the Ravens if they don't have Ronnie Stanley because that's an all pro tackle. That's one of the best left tackles, if not the best left tackle in the entire league. And his replacement, DJ Fluker, gave up two pressures. One of them was a sack, another one Lamar Jackson had to escape from. And, you know, that was all fine and dandy. But DJ Fluker had some good plays, but had some more bad ones. And that he did not overly impress me. He is not a tackle anymore. He's played a tackle, has some experience, but he's primarily a guard. He went out and played that swing tackle position, but did not have overly impressive results to me. So if Ronnie Stanley is out, that honestly changes the scope of the game for Baltimore and what they decide to do, both running and passing the football. But I want to get into some final score predictions with you guys now. In talking about this game, I would hope that the Ravens would be able to pull this off. But the first road game of the year, we know how drastically different it's going to be playing on the road this year. But for Baltimore, I still think this is a game that they can go out and win. And for Baltimore, they're going to have to do a good job of defending the deep ball and making sure that they don't let guys like Brandon Cooks or Will Fuller or Kenny Stills beat them deep because the Browns did not test the Ravens deep at all on Sunday. So guys, what are your final score predictions for this one?
2: Prior to the season, I originally had the Houston Texans dropping this game and I'm going to stand by that decision. Um, Look, even if Ronnie Stanley do not play I don't think you have anything to worry about because outside of Jacob Martin and even JJ Watt to a certain extent, even though he's getting up there in age, you guys don't really have anything to worry about with our front seven. <laughs> you you really don't. And I hate to say that, but you know, even with all that being said, I still don't think that the Houston Texans are going to have enough to put out, pull out the victory. So I'm going to go with final score 34, 23 Ravens. And the only difference between last year's game and this year's game we're not going to have a blown pass interference call to change up the whole entire game like we did last year.
0: You know, Cody, I think a lot of people forget that that game going into the end of the first quarter was 0-0, but that, exactly. call, that call changed, I think, the entire outlook of that game because that was a fourth down. It mm-hmm. was a fourth down play, and if that call gets called in the Texans' favor, it's first and 10 at the Ravens' one-yard line as opposed to the Ravens having the ball, I think it was around the Texans' 40 or mm-hmm. maybe the midfield mark. I can't remember exactly, but that was a deep shot. And so that changes the whole landscape of that game. And you guys
2: scored off of that play, correct? We, we,
0: we did. I think we scored on that drive. And then that ultimately opened the floodgates and, you know, over 40 points. So, <laughs> you know, you look at that, There, no DeAndre Hopkins to draw that call or not draw that call. So we'll see what these other Texans
1: receivers can do. So I initially picked the Houston Texans to beat the Ravens. Uh... For Sunday's matchup, and I'm going to stick with that pick. I'm going to go with 27-23 Houston. Oh, so you're picking the Texans to win this one? Yes.
0: And do you have any reason behind that?
1: I, I think they just get better with time. Uh, they played the Super Bowl champs. They had 10 days to work on, well, realistically, about eight days to work on things. And, and I just think overall, they come into Sunday's matchup knowing a little bit more about their own selves. Checking their own identities to figure out what works and what won't and what won't work. And and I think they'll be more prepared for Saturday's matchup.
0: Yeah, and this is a game where I think the flow of the game is gonna be decided early because again, the Ravens can get defenses so out of sync so early. If the Texans can stay disciplined and make sure that they're not giving Lamar Jackson this Ravens offense easy lanes to run through. And if Ronnie Stanley is out again, that's a huge, huge loss for Baltimore. It could. You know, the Ravens do have a history sometimes of just letting games slip away, so it could happen, but I'm ultimately going to pick the Ravens to win this one, I'm going to say, by the final score of 30 to 20. It was really great talking to both Cody and John, and they gave us some good input on the Texans, and hopefully this game on Sunday between the Ravens and the Texans is a good one. But that's all that we have for you today here on Locked on Ravens, and when we get back tomorrow, it's, of course, more Baltimore Ravens talk from us, so stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.